Welcome to PwC's Accounting and Reporting Podcast Series. Our mission is to inform and educate accountants and other stakeholders on today's most important accounting issues. I'm Heather Horn, a partner in PwC's national office and the host of this series. Angela Ferguson, a partner in PwC's national office, is back in the studio to help educate us. Frequent listeners will recognize Angela from her earlier podcast on cloud computing. So with all that said, let's get started. Welcome back, Angela, and thanks for joining us today to talk about a perennially popular topic, revenue, and in this case, some uh, day two accounting considerations related to contract modifications. So before we actually jump into the guidance, can you explain to our listeners what we mean when we say revenue contract modifications? Sure. Uh, when, we, when we talk about a modification to a contract with a customer, it's the change in the scope or price or both of the contract that's been approved by the parties. And sometimes this is going to be really obvious because there's an, an actual amendment drafted to a contract that has changes to the scope or price written in there. But sometimes it's not going to be so obvious. It can take different forms. For example, a modification could be written in a separate contract, but it, it actually modifies an ongoing contract with a, with a customer. Or the parties could even decide to terminate a contract and enter into a new contract, but in substance, what they've really done is modified the original contract. So there's different forms that this can take, different ways it can be structured, but it's any time you've basically changed, again, the scope or price of a contract. So it sounds like even if you're entering into a new contract with an existing customer, you should at least be asking yourself a question, is this a modification exactly. of an existing arrangement? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's great. So then now that we sort of understand at least where you should start, what guidance do you apply if you conclude you do have a contract modification? Yeah, 606 has a model, kind of a decision tree to use to account for modifications. And this decision tree has two primary decision points. I mean, the first is whether you've added distinct goods or services to the contract, and if so, whether those new goods or services are priced at the standalone selling price. And when we think about these two decision points, there are three potential types of modifications you could have. So the first type of modification is where you are adding distinct goods or services and they are priced at the standalone selling price of, that you would normally separately price those goods or services at. And this is the most straightforward type of modification because you're just going to treat that like a separate contract. So there's no impact to the uh, original contract or ongoing contract. Everything stays the same and you're just going to account for the modification prospectively as a separate contract. Now, in the second type of modification, you, you still have distinct goods or services, but not at the standalone selling price. And in this case, you're going to do the modification accounting as if you have canceled the old contract and entered into a new contract. And that new contract includes everything remaining from the original contract and anything you've added through the modification. 
And so you'd put all that together and reallocate any consideration to those remaining goods or services and do the accounting prospectively. The third type of modification is where you don't have distinct goods or services, where there's really just one performance obligation that's being modified. And in that case, you do the accounting on a cumulative catch-up basis. So this might be where you have some ongoing long-term contract that's just one single performance obligation, like a construction contract, and you've made some change to the scope. That would be done on a cumulative catch-up basis. So then, Angela, I know you're referring to a very helpful chart, and it's something we also had when you appeared on the webcast. So I think that's something we can also include in the show notes, because it does give kind of a nice, almost like cheat sheet of when each model applies. Yep, it's my little cheat sheet. Here. Yep. Um, okay, so then now that we sort of have the basic framework, I know there's a lot of judgment, and even as you were speaking, I was thinking of questions, probably starting with a question of, it seems like in some cases you may not even be sure you had a modification. Right. I mean, when I talked about uh, before that your modifications can be in, take different forms, that is one of the first challenges is just making sure you have, have identified all the modifications. So if you're entering into a contract with an existing customer and you have other open contracts with that same customer, um, you would first you would need to assess whether that needs to get run through the modification framework. So that is a key judgment up front. And then another key judgment you're going to run into here is um, standalone selling price, which as I mentioned is one of the key decision points in this model. And standalone selling price itself in the model is one key area of judgment, particularly in industries where pricing is not always consistent, somewhat variable. So it's assessing you at the time of the modification, is that pricing standalone selling price? And the model gives you a little bit of, of wiggle room. It's not exactly a strict definition of standalone selling price. The standard refers to making, quote, appropriate adjustments to that price to reflect the circumstances of the particular contract. Then, of course, there's judgment like, what does that mean? Right. I mean, like right. a simple example might be if you're selling something to a recurring customer, you might give them a discount because you're not incurring selling costs to go acquire a new customer. So that's a simple example. But, uh, you know, we're finding there's lots of judgment when you have a modification and you think about is the pricing at standalone selling price or has it been adjusted because of this particular situation that we would still call it standalone selling price? Right, and it seems like even in your simple example, depending on how big the discount is, it may not really be reasonable to say that's because it's, you're selling to an existing customer. Yeah, exactly. Okay, what are some other things then that people need to think about? Well, another you know, just general observation is that modifications can be really complex. I mean, oftentimes when we're seeing these they're more one-off or just a complete renegotiation of the contract. And in that case, there could be a lot of different things going on, particularly if the customer is perhaps not happy with things that have happened in the past. So if you had a situation, for example, where you're delivering product to a customer under a long-term contract, and then the parties come together to renegotiate and the customer maybe isn't happy with some issues with some past product that's been delivered. And so as part of this negotiation, 
maybe you negotiate a discount or some sort of one-time payment to the customer. There's a lot of judgment in whether a piece of that is really a concession related to those products that were previously delivered or whether it's just part of the modification to the contract that should be accounted for prospectively. So then this sounds like another case where it's going to be important to make sure you understand the business substance of whatever modification is occurring. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And why different terms were negotiated the way they were. So then, Angela, I can definitely see, uh, even as I said with your simple example, I can see how it could get complex very quickly. And obviously then if there's a lot of changes, then there definitely will be um, many things for the accounts to be thinking about. So then as we're thinking about that, what are some of the operational challenges that you've seen as companies have applied this guidance? The main issue I've seen in operationalizing is that when you look at a single contract modification and we have this pretty good model to apply, decision tree, it's fairly manageable, right? I mean, you can walk through those, those decision points I described and maybe you need to make some judgments, but that's fairly manageable. But in many cases, companies not just going to have a couple of modifications in a reporting period, they might have a high volume of modifications or renewals, and um, they may or may not be standard types of, of modifications. And so the challenge is really automating this process or applying these judgments when you've got a high volume of modifications to, to analyze. And it's particularly challenging when companies don't have standard contracts or standard pricing that they apply. And then it's figuring out how can I identify when we're not pricing something at standalone selling price when I've got a you know, large volume of modifications to, to assess. Right, so again, needing to really understand more than just what the contract says, but the business context for what you're doing. Right, and again, it's not too hard to do that on a, on a one-off, but if you've got a large volume to, to sort through, it gets much more complicated. So companies will certainly have to have processes, processes and controls in place to first identify modifications, and then perhaps those that are more standard can be automated, and those that are not standard and more complex uh, would, would need to be assessed manually. Yeah, I think that's a key point, Angela, that this is something companies don't want to wait until a modification occurs, but they should be looking to make sure that they do have a process in place to identify these as they happen and then to process them on a timely basis. Yep, absolutely. So then, Angela, why don't we wrap up by talking about something that's been a big focus in general related to the revenue standard, and that's disclosure. So to the extent I do have a modification that I'm dealing with, no matter which model I'm under, what do I need to be thinking about from a disclosure perspective? So when you look at the list of disclosures, and you know we all know there's a lot of them under the revenue standard, there's nothing that explicitly requires disclosures about modifications. But I would point out that modifications could impact various other areas of disclosure. So for example, there's a requirement to disclose significant judgments when accounting for contracts with customers. And as we noted, this could be an area where you have some of those significant judgments. So you'd want to think about that. Uh, there are also specific disclosure requirements for contract assets and liabilities and changes in those balances. 
as well as unfulfilled or unsatisfied performance obligations going out into the future. And modifications could impact those disclosures as well. So just thinking about the impact on those disclosures when you have these modifications will be important. And then I guess potentially some transparency about what's causing changes in those balances will be helpful for yep. users of the financial statements. Yeah, exactly. Okay, great. Angela, very helpful discussion overall. If I am a listener that now has some more questions about how to account for contract modifications, what's the best place to go look for help? Sure, they can go to our guide on uh, revenue from contracts with customers. And there's a section in chapter two, and specifically section 2.9, where you can go look and we have more information about accounting for contract modifications. Okay, great. And then as I mentioned earlier, we can also include the helpful quote cheat sheet. Um, we'll include that in the show notes. So if people want to go reference that, they can kind of have that handy. So uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Really appreciate the insight. Yep, no problem. Please join me here again next week when we introduce the first podcast in an occasional series about accounting for income taxes. Our first episode will start at the beginning with the scope of the standard. Jen Spang and Cassie Bauman, tax specialists from PwC's national office, will be my guests for this conversation. To make sure you catch next week's episode, subscribe to our podcast series wherever you find your content. And we'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review or connect with me on LinkedIn. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.